We need you. I need you. As we have sung about your faithfulness, your faithfulness to our ancestors, your faithfulness to their ancestors, your faithfulness. Lord, we witness and we see such a lack of faithfulness in the world. It's hard for us to grasp, but you are faithful and you are good and you are gracious, and you are merciful, abounding in steadfast love, loyal love. Some here this morning are so grateful, and they praise you for the work that you have done in their lives. Many others here this morning are saying with these words, we need you to touch our lives, to touch our family, to touch our friends. So we gather together, encouraged by the brothers and sisters beside us, in front of us, behind us. As you have instructed us to do, to gather together, to encourage one another, build each other up, bear one another's burdens. So we do. We gather here in Jesus' name. We say, Holy Spirit, have your will among us, because we know your will is for good. And so we thank you. Powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I wonder if we could just sing that last part of the that will you finish that Yes. Just the way we just I'm like, he's not going to repeat. The last verse later. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty River, come to me again. I'll just tell you. Come and fill me again. Come and fill me again. Thank you, music team. Thank you, Lorraine, Ann, Kimberly, Sarah. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Colby. Um, and thank you to this new guy. Uh, Jeff Cato is his name. Uh, Jeff has started Thursday joining us uh, this morning. He kind of just said, no, you're starting? Good. Come on in. Uh, Jeff is uh, the new director of worship arts. We hired why don't you give him a he, he gets to wear and use his new guy card for a while. Um, I'm still using mine. Uh, trying to anyway. Uh, praise the Lord for Jeff. And so we, we actually are going to have a, a service in June uh, where we will uh, make space for him to share his testimony. We're planning barbecue for the worship arts team so that they can get to meet Jeff as well. Um, and so we're, we're thankful that he has come and enjoyed our team. Uh, you'll also notice a couple of things in the bulletin. Uh, normally I do this, I have... Uh, I call it a sermon supplement, but it's fill in the blanks that are uh, an aid to the sermon for those of you who want to track along with me. The, the good thing is that hopefully you'll find the answers up or popping up on the screen. So uh, there's a few extra fill in the blanks because uh, while we just thought maybe you needed a bit of extra help in, in tracking with me uh, on the long weekend. And then the other thing you're going to notice is a word search. And boy, do I like uh, some of the websites that are available to us, but this word search, these are words that most likely I will be saying during the course of the sermon. And uh, if you hear that word, then you make a little check mark by it, then you can find the word in your word search there as well. All for you. And you can go online too.
Hey, so like, what are you good at? Show, show something. What, what are you particularly good at? And like, if you think, oh, well, there are a few different things, but here's something I'm good at. Anybody? What? Anything? I hear whispering. Soccer? Music? Art? Baking? Love it. Yeah, some things that you're really good at or that you excel at. Um, there was uh, this this uh, uh, author and uh, researcher, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote a book a while back called Outliers. And he was interested in what makes certain people um, exceptional or really good. And uh, he looked at people from all different walks of life. And what he discovered is actually, yeah, they might have some some gifting and some special talents and so on, but what he discovered is that for the most part, for someone to excel, they put in about 10,000 hours in their area. That includes people like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates and all the rest of them, uh, artists, etc. He discovered that to excel requires actual uh, effort, time, attention, and those sorts of things, and so he decided that the number that he discovered was 10,000. But we are finishing our sermon series this Sunday, Heaven, Mystery and Victory. And we've been going through one chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 in this series. And the way Paul finishes this chapter and actually, uh, uh, when we're finishing this series, he finishes this in 1 Corinthians 15. The way he finishes this chapter is writing this in, in uh, verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. So he urges the congregation in Corinth to excel. The aim is to excel, particularly in the work of the Lord. Be really good, excel in the work of the Lord. But why? Why aim to excel specifically in the work of the Lord? And it's the way it's grammatically given is it's an imperative. He's urging. There's an intensity to it. He's, he's imploring them. I can imagine him raising his voice even though he's writing it in a letter. In a little while, we're going to have what we call human art, which is question and response, where I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can text or email your questions to ask at westlychurch.ca, or you can stand up where you are bring a microphone to you, you can ask your question. If you have questions while I'm talking, write them down. You can text them or email them at any time. I'm not offended if I see you on your phone. Um, and, or write them down and ask them when we pause for the So why aim to excel at the work of the Lord? In the work of the Lord. So he's writing this to the first church in Corinth, congregation in Corinth. And to be a follower of Jesus or to be a congregant in First Church Corinth was a very big deal. I mean, it was one thing because there were no Christians until some people changed and became followers of Jesus. It wasn't like a climate of Christianity. So to attend this new first ever congregation or church in Corinth was significant. Attending it. But committing, getting involved, actually living out what is being talked about, was a major sacrifice. Corinth was a metropolitan city. At the time of this writing, it was probably outshining Athens. And there were all kinds of religions and all kinds of commerce there. And so people that were now being invited to attend this church there were uh, idol carvers. They were making great business out of uh, welding and making different objects as idols. There were merchants and, and business people that were now being called to a totally different uh, way of life. 
It was significant. And, and a change. There, were, um, there was a, a major sex trade connected with the religion up on the side of the hill overlooking the city. And some of those women were coming to this church now and attending this church. To follow Jesus in that climate and to attend this church and be a follower of Jesus would most likely mean that you would get socially marginalized because it was so radical. If you happen to be a Jew, you would be kicked out of the synagogue. You would lose your status and your place, maybe even your means of making a livelihood. And so the challenge when Paul says, excel in the work of the Lord, we need to understand it in the context of which it is given. Because they were really good at business. They were really good in the trades and the, and the way that they were living. They were doing very well. It was a thriving city. It was kind of like Los Angeles, New York, and Las Vegas all meshed together. They were really good at that. And now Paul is saying at the conclusion here, what I want you to do is what I'm imploring you to do is excel in the work of the Lord. But what's the reason for it? There must be a reason. In fact, it must be so compelling so as to move people to actually engage with what he's saying. It can't be just obligatory, but well, we have to. Or because we're told. These are educated, intelligent people. There must be a reason behind it. Why aim to excel in the work of the Lord? Well, you made it here this morning. It's a long weekend. You made it. You're here. And you look good. Yeah, you made it. And 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 you're attending, and, and you attend church fairly regularly, and and, and you, you want to be here, and you enjoy it, and, and, and some of you, many of you, volunteer in different aspects. It's challenging, but, but you do it, or you want to do it, and, and if I was talking to you, I know that you, you want to share your faith with other people, in school, I share that, in your workplace, you want to share what you believe and you want to describe the way things are, but it's difficult. And we don't really know what to say. And we're dreadfully concerned about what other people will think, what they will say. We don't want them to think we're, you know, weird. We're kind of like extreme. So we, we kind of hold off and we back off. And maybe, maybe this is kind of what it feels like to date the church. If you kind of just have a dating relationship with God, we kind of, when it's convenient, or, you know. And besides, you know, really, what's the point? It just feels like a cycle anyway. Well, we go to church, and, it, and there's just this cycle, and it kind of, does anything change? And, in the world, and maybe it just feels like I'm not even sure what we're doing, why we're doing it. It feels like a bit of a waste. Do we have a theological, doctrinal explanation and a reason for what it is, why it is we do what we do? Like a, a, a spiritual, theological reason for what we do. We can do church. We have a board. We can do church well with people in business. So we, we can draw from uh, business practices. We have good, you know, so we can do church. We can do that well. We don't want to do that. Maybe we reference business practices and business acumen, but but is that what I? If I was to ask, you know, teenagers or young adults, like, what is this? religious project that we're about? What is Christianity about? Why are we aiming to excel in the work of the Lord? Is it about morals? Like, be good? Uh, Christian Smith is a sociologist and a professor. He's done a lot of research. He writes a lot. His area is mostly in 
the area of religion, and he's interested in adolescents and young adults, in particular their perspective on Christianity and religion. He wrote a book a while back called Soul Searching, and he talked to a whole slew, he and another author, um, and what they discovered is that basically that youth and young adults, what they are picking up as it relates to religion or Christianity, what they're picking up is the reason for all of this is he, he coined this phrase, moralistic therapeutic deism. That's what's getting picked up. And that is that young adults and, and uh, teenagers, adolescents and young adults' perspective on what we're doing and what we're talking about is a, a form of moralistic therapeutic deism. This approach to life and this, uh, what is religion and what is Christianity all about? And what it means is that first, this whole Christianity thing, firstly, it's about just morals. It's about if you want to live a good, happy life, just be morally decent. That's what Christianity is. Just be morally decent. You'll live a good, happy life. The second thing is that Christianity is mostly what it is, is um, therapeutic benefits to people who follow it. So you get some therapeutic benefits if you follow Jesus, and that's what, what this Christian perspective is. And the third thing that they have picked up that, that somehow we convey is that God, yes, there is a creator, and he's got all this stuff running, but that he's not really involved in our lives, per se. Certainly not involved in every area of my life, and certainly not in areas that I don't want him to be involved in. So essentially, God is like a divine butler or a cosmic therapist. But following Jesus in, in Christianity is that, and it has nothing to do with repentance and sin. It has nothing to do with communicating with God about His grace and His mercy, about gratitude, about serving others. All of that's lost in what picked up and what we've been conveying is this moralistic therapeutic theism. What's interesting is we're finishing this series on happiness, and this popular maxim is that everybody still wants to go to heaven. But there's a finishing to that. The fact that David Crowder, who's a musician and, 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 and uh, a speaker and so on, he wrote a book, and the title of the book is this, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. So no matter what the perspective is, as sort of rough and tumble as, as things are, we still have a mindset about heaven. But what Paul is urging the first congregation in Corinth, and by extension, because it's in Scripture, what the Lord is urging all of us, young and old, is to excel, be really good at, In the work of the Lord. Why should we aim to excel in the work of the Lord? So turn with me again to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at starting at verse 15. He writes this What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so I want to stop here for a moment because what Paul is talking about, what we're talking about here ultimately is the kingdom of God. In Matthew, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are essentially interchangeable. And what I want you to understand is when we're talking about kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, it is both an internal reality and an external reality. It is what's going on inside and also what is going on outside. And so this whole series, we could say, is about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. There were a lot of songs popping in my head this week while I was preparing this sermon. There was an old song that came to my mind. There, the, 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 the line goes, There's a land that is fairer than you. And by faith I can see it afar. I won't say more than that. 
But this land, there's a land that is fairer than day. So right away, Paul is trying to get people's attention that there's more to life than what we can initially see and that is visible. There's another, there's a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven. But how can life, how can we have a physical, eternal life? How is that possible with the human beings? How is it possible for human beings to have a physical life for all time? Especially when our bodies are frail and fragile and they fail and they give in and they give up. And so what he's saying in this opening in verse 50 is that it has to do with materiality. It's not about inheriting. We're going to inherit, but the, the issue is one of materiality. So when he says flesh and blood, he's saying this this body, this ordinary body, the makeup that we have is not going to be the same kind of body that is going to live for all time in the kingdom of heaven. For the so it bears the question, well then how will we live as human beings in an embodied state? Because to be human means to have a body. How will we then live in this embodied state? So let's continue with verse 51. Listen. It's like he's anticipating that question. I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body was put on immortality. And he repeats. Paul is not usually one to repeat. But here he repeats for emphasis and to make sure that there's a lot of understanding in terms of what he is saying. And what he is saying in a point is this. That human beings will change. There will be a change that takes place with human beings. He says it'll be in a nanosecond. In an instant, it'll just happen. And he says in this, in the sound of a trumpet, now trumpets were used to, to convey or to announce um, triumph and to announce a new era. And so he says in a nanosecond, there's gonna be the equivalent of a trumpet sound, a trumpet of victory sound, and an announcement of a new era, and in that instant, human beings will be changed. And what he's saying is that, listen, right now we have perishable bodies. That means, perishable, that means in one sense that we are susceptible to decay. It's a reality. This body actually decays. You know that. It's also susceptible to corruption. Internally and externally, we are susceptible to be corrupted. That's perishable. And he says also that it's mortal. Our human bodies and our human beings, in the initial, the way we are born, we're born mortal. That is, we're prone to come to an end. And you know that too. We're not making this up. It's observable, repeatable. It's, you could call it science. And he says, in an instant, that's going to change. And what's going to change is that you're going to become imperishable. That means you, the human bodies that change materially will no longer be uh, susceptible to decay and no longer susceptible to corruption. Amazing. We won't even be susceptible to corruptibility. And he says, mortal will change to immortality. That means that there will no longer be any susceptibility to end. That's amazing. And so he says, this is a mystery. A mystery. Now listen, in English, when we use some of these words, mystery, we use a word like mystery, and we kind of shrug our shoulders, and we say, well, eh, it's a mystery. In other words, I give up, I don't know, no one will ever know. That's not how it's used here. Mystery as in, 
might not have formerly been known, but now is being revealed. The reality of things is being revealed. A mystery is being revealed. And it's at least in part, he's explaining the way it is and will be. A mystery revealed. Praise the Lord. What's so significant about this change? How could that even happen? How is it possible then? I mean, aside from describing the, the materiality change, how is it even possible that we won't be susceptible to corruptibility and all of that will be gone and there'll be no more head? Well, he explains further in verse 54. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The change that will take place is that sin and therefore also death will be eradicated. They will be eliminated. They will be deleted. As the uh, writer in Revelation says, they will be thrown into the fiery pit and done away with. They will be no more. Sin will be gone. Death will be gone. Amen. Oh, thanks be to God, Paul writes. I, I feel him. I'm feeling what he's putting down there. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. That day, when sin and death are eradicated, and he says that, you know, part of the power are these laws. So actually a lot of the, the change subsequently also means that a lot of the human and moral laws are also going to be eradicated. It's these crazy moral and human laws that we have. For example, let me give you an example. You know how crazy it is when he talks about these laws are, are kind of like power for, um, for sin. You know, you need a, you need a, a pass to go to Bath Park, be in Bath and Damascus. And that's the truth. That's kind of in airports. It's a law. Well, okay. It's a law if you get caught. Right? That's, that's part of what he's talking about that gets eradicated here. Because these human laws, these human morals, and all this begins to change because we've been playing funny business. And all of that goes. But then also, finally, nature is redeemed and restored. All of his creation is redeemed and restored. I find it fascinating that we, we, we drive by this the reality that of our, our human bodies. You know, Scripture says that we were created from dust. We were created from dust, from the, from the ground. You know what's interesting to me? We know we're, we're, how we're born, we see babies born, but the reality is that we still come from the ground. When you're exerting yourself and when you're doing a workout, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, he's doing a lot of rowing, and he says, what I really need is electrolytes. Do you know what electrolytes are? Potassium, iron, sodium, magnesium. What do those things sound like to you guys? Magnesium, sodium, what does that remind you of? What? Minerals? Yeah, it's the periodic table. Do you know what you need in order to continue to live and, and thrive? You need minerals from the periodic table. But someday, all this creation at the same time is striving to live. Every animal, every plant, everything on this creation is striving to live. And one day, all of that will be fulfilled in a nanosecond when sin and death are eradicated. And this victory becomes a reality. So this change marks and it sets complete victory for human beings in all creation. And it is through, specifically through Jesus Christ. Let me explain when he says it is through Jesus Christ. How can the, this victory be through Jesus Christ? 
Or do you remember we sang that song about Goliath and, and, and so on, and we may not be David and so on. But do you remember what happened with David and when he was facing Goliath? As all the Israelites were trembling, it's one big guy, right? The bully on the playground. And all of these army uh, soldiers and so on were trembling. And along comes, uh, you know, the forgotten kid who's supposed to look after the pets and the goats and the sheep. And he comes along and he says, I'll take care of it. And what does he do? Is he defeats Goliath. And so victory and rejuvenation for the people of God in Israel came through David. It necessarily came through David. And what Paul is writing here is that the kingdom of God, the victory that we have in order to enter into and realize the, our lives in this new place comes solely and only through Jesus Christ. And the reason is that he has gone through that process already. He was here, he lived, he was crucified, he rose, and that transformation, that change that Paul is talking about has taken place already in the person of Jesus Christ who is alive right now. And so the reason we can pass and live and experience presence in the kingdom of God or presence in the kingdom of heaven is because of the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. It is not meant to be a bias. It is meant to describe the reality of the way things actually are. So why should we aim to excel in the work of the Lord? Because this work of the Lord, work, excelling in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, is uniquely eternal. It doesn't go to waste. It actually lasts. It's good to be good in music and in art and in cooking and in soccer and in sports. But someday, all of that is going to change. But the work we do in and for the kingdom of God is work that is eternal. It has eternal consequence. So I, I want to try and illustrate this this morning. And I thought, well, since it's a long weekend, I'd bring a couple of sort of picnic tables with me. Or not exactly picnic, camping tables. How about that? All right. And we're going to need food. All, all of our lives, we're, we're either noticing, we're not noticing, but all of the message is already there. We're maybe just not picking it up. So when you go grocery shopping, you're most likely going to see on almost every product something called a best before date or an expiring date. Am I right? Um, who, do, you, do you want to catch this? Uh, very good. This is heavy. You're going to catch it. You're going to need two hands. See if you can find an expiring date on there. Expiring date. Here's another one. You can catch it. See if you can find an expiring date. All of these. You want to, this is a can. You can. This is a smaller can. Here, it's a smaller. Okay, all right. All of these things have expiry dates or best before dates. And incidentally, do you know the difference between a best before date and an expiry date? Taste best. Yeah, what? Okay, so best before date. Okay, safe to eat. Okay, you guys are working that out. Anybody else? Do you have you been shopping all these years and no understanding about what's the difference between best before and expiring? Best quality is best before. Okay. 
Okay, a suggestion. It'll taste better. Okay. Did, did you have more? Did you just open the cat? So it leaked? Is that, what's the expiry on that? May 1st, best before. Okay, you want to toss that back up here? Let's see if I get it. All right. What have you got? September 2023. Uh, best before or best before? All right. What have you got there? Okay, April 20th. So, thank goodness that's empty. Because that, that's before day. And Noah? Oh, okay, 2025. Cat goods. That's good. And. Oh, okay. Thank you. So best before is recommended eating before that time, but you could probably get a couple extra days. Expiry date is, it's no good after that date. All of these products have best before and expiry. They're going to be ended. They're going to decay. And what Paul is saying is that there's an, another kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where that's not going to be the case with creation and human beings. He's saying that the materiality is going to change, and what's also significantly going to change is there will be no sin and no death. Here we see every day a reminder of where we're living in today, but a reminder also of what will be in the future. And we live here, Jesus came and lived here, but when he rose from the dead, he was changed. And in that sense, he was here, but he changed and is now part of this. He is moved from here to here. And so we have victory through Jesus Christ. There is a continuity, or a discontinuity rather, a discontinuity there's going to be this, but something else is going to happen here. But there's also a continuity because we move from here. We eventually are here. And what is interesting is Paul is saying that what we do here has a bearing on here. And what he's saying is this is what necessarily should inform what we do here. And so he explains and unpacks this. And so the message really in a succinct phrase is to be heavenly minded is to be earthly active. If you are heavenly minded, then what that actually looks like is to be earthly active. A lot of people spend time rummaging around here and trying to figure out when is the day, what is the calendar, and is it historic pre-millennial or is it off-millennial or and all of that jazz. And that's all nice and I've done all that research. But really to be heavenly minded means that we are earthly activists policy. So yes, yes, I have an agenda. I hope you have an agenda. You know, the world pushes us off all these kinds of phrases like, oh, you shouldn't have an agenda. I do have an agenda. My agenda is to describe this in different ways to as many people as I can. That's my agenda. It isn't to try and convert you. It isn't to try and convert my neighbor. In the first instance, what I want to do, as Paul was doing, Jesus before him, is to disclose and describe and proclaim the reality as it actually is. Maybe I use this. Maybe I use something else. Maybe I look at creation and the tulip that's coming up or the tree that's beginning to bloom. It's everywhere all around us. You can use music. You can use art. You can use science. It's all there for our use to describe it. So it's an agenda. Yes. Excelling is a work of the Friends, the, this whole phrase, woke, not woke, and all of that, is just noise. It's static. This has nothing to do with it. It, it isn't that the enemy is trying to lull us to sleep. 
That is not the issue. It isn't even that the enemy of our spiritual forces of wickedness are trying to distract us. The spiritual forces of wickedness, but Satan is the head, is called a liar. The problem, the real problem is to believe something that is not true. To believe a lie. To believe an alternate reality that is not this. Because this, my friends, my sisters and brothers, is true. And what he wants to do is get us to believe other lies, believe other things. And you know why that's so bad? It's because when we believe other things other than the reality of the way things are, we believe things that are not true. The reason that's a problem is we pass that on. You pass it on to your children, your children's children. Things that aren't true. Things that land up with moralistic therapeutic deism land up with an unawareness of the way things really are. So the grace that comes to us through this scripture is that the mystery has been revealed, at least in part. Thank you, Lord. Thanks be to God. The other the grace is that the victory, the, tr the, the victory has already been uh, accomplished in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This transformation, this change has already taken place in the person of Jesus Christ. Anybody? That's the grace, and not only that, but that victory, that tr transformation, that change is offered to each one of us. It is offered. You can't achieve it. You don't deserve it. It doesn't matter how tall, short. It doesn't matter if you're a, a female or a male. It, the Lord offers that through the person of Jesus Christ. And when you say, yes, you receive already the Holy Spirit that Paul says is like a down payment. The Holy Spirit is like a stamp. And it says, you receive this? You want to follow Jesus? Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Paul says, the Lord gives you the Holy Spirit. He puts the Holy Spirit on your very being and you're changed from that point on already. You have been changed and you will not pass, you will not go into death. You have already passed from death to life. You've already passed from death to life. John 5, 24. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm feeling like I'm getting all excited and I'm jumping up and down. I don't know. Maybe I should see what's going on here. This is fantastic news, friends. Not only is the grace that the mystery has been revealed, not only is God's grace that he offers that freely, that victory to you and me, but not only that, but he invites us to participate in this work. He invites you and me to participate in the most important, vital, critical reality and work there possibly is. He says, receive it and then join me in telling other people about this reality in ways you can, and I will equip you. I want to pause for a moment. Um, for question and response, maybe T.Y., I'm bringing my water up, bringing it away. I should have brought that uh, with me, uh, but I didn't. Um, I'm going to just pause for a moment for some question and response. Um, heaven, to be heavenly minded is to be earthly active. Thank you. If you've got a question, you can stand where you are. Um, have a sip, let me read the preamble here. Question. So it goes like this. It feels like the reputation church has in society these days is primarily hypocrisy, fake spirituality, judgment, abuse. There are other places in society where people can find authenticity, spiritual experience, deep community. So the question comes, is it our job to change this? What's the point? Of the kingdom of heaven if it doesn't enhance or change our lives here and now what does christianity offer the people okay well that's like this word yeah here just there you go. <laughs> um so can you break down give me one or two yeah, at a time. absolutely so if, if the world can find this community and this authenticity and this deep uh, spiritual experiences in our job to to change that to, to somehow help them to recognize that they can find it here within the church. Okay. 
So where, yeah, can, it, so people can find this somewhere else. What's the point of, of church or, or can they, is it our job to change that or to communicate with yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So first of all, the gospel is, and, and and this message, the church doesn't contain the work of the Lord. It, it isn't. We don't control it. We don't contain it. God doesn't need us, but He involves us and He invites us. Okay. So we don't contain or control. But but here's the thing. What we're talking about is this reality. And we're talking about the message of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Is that a message? That's a message that we're focused on. Is that a message if you belong to a curling club or you belong to a garden club? If they are giving you that message and they are conveying that message on a regular basis and talking about how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and how to uh, uh, communicate that and how to do this kind of work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then great. Then, then, then that's great. But I will. I, I wonder if that's the focus of the garden club and the curling. So we're not perfect. We, we, we are not perfect people. We're far from it. The point really is that a bunch of followers of Jesus, people that want to follow Jesus, as perfect as we are, get together to encourage one another and build each other up and remind each other of the reality as it is, and describe it in different ways, and then try and help each other, equip each other to excel in the work of the Lord when we go to school and work. That's this focus. Will we get it wrong? Will we make mistakes? Yes, we absolutely will. But let's make the focus on this as our primary message. So if, if people are saying, well, I belong to this or I belong to that, that's true. What they're finding in these cases, and we have two daughters, and I know this to be a reality even in high school, what they find is acceptance, a sense of belonging, a sense of being wanted. Church, we want to convey that message. It's, a, it's part of our vision statement. It's the first word, key word is to belong. We want to be a place where people have a sense that they belong, not only that they belong, but that they are wanted. That's essential to conveying the gospel message and to describing the way things are. Love it. I know let's do this part of this question. There's a lot here, but I love this. What does Christianity offer that people don't find elsewhere? Okay. Christianity doesn't offer anything. Oh, you're expecting it. Jesus Christ offers you a different way of life, and he offers you life in time without end. And you will only find that through the living Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no other person, place, or thing under earth by which we can be saved. I'm quoting from Acts. So you will find, you will get good at, at your musicianship, you will get good at your cooking, you will get good at, you'll have a sense of belonging in all of that. But what Jesus offers is a victory of moving from this, all of which decays, has the best important end, to a reality of this. And what John says is, for those who believe in my name and him who sent me, they have eternal life. They do not come into judgment, but have passed already from death to life. John 5.24. That can begin already today. What Christianity is doing, hopefully, what we are doing, is conveying the gospel message on a regular basis so that you hear that, understand that reality, and begin to live that out in your life. Okay. All right. Point there. I like your questions. Those are real. Okay? We need more, like, yes. Give us those questions. Ask them. Because they're on your mind. So what I want to do, I'm going to ask the music team to come up here. I just want to invite you, as we finish this series, on heaven. And it's almost like a twist, twist to the ending. 
I want to invite you to take stock of your life. What is, how is your life oriented? Is your life primarily oriented towards things here? You know, I know, like, listen, you're, you're in school, maybe you're going to uh, university, maybe you're going to the next phase of university, maybe you're graduating high school. All that's great. But the question to ask is, like, what is the trajectory of your life? Is it, are you going there, you know, in, in nursing? Are you going into doctoring? Are you going into education? Um, and, and it's strictly just to be a, a doctor or, or a teacher or a plumber or an electrician, and that's the end? Is that the goal? Or is it so that you can also live out this gospel message and in some way begin to excel in the work of the Lord? Because at some point, things actually come to a best before day. But what we do in terms of working with the Lord and conveying the gospel message has a lasting effect. So it's just thinking through, taking stock and saying, what is my life oriented towards? Am I oriented my life this way? Or is my life really just oriented this way? More income, more stuff, more materiality, more leisure, or is it like kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, heavenly? And then I want to invite you to make a choice. We get to choose. Choose to, to unpack, choose to respond to this mystery that is revealed. Uh, Charles Deming, uh, sorry, uh, Edward Deming uh, had this phrase, change is not necessary because survival is not mandatory. So we don't have to change, but it would be great if we did. So you can make a choice now that you know this mystery, this revelation. Now that you know about the victory in Jesus Christ, you can choose to participate in that victory and convey this reality or not. And then the last thing I want to do as we finish this is to talk about commitment. We take stock, we make a choice, and then we actually commit. When in a couple of weeks from now, June 11th, we're going to have a baptism and membership service. It's a great example of what commitment looks like. When somebody is getting baptized, they are making a public declaration of their commitment to Jesus Christ. They're going to be baptized into Jesus Christ. They're making a commitment, yes, to Jesus Christ. Not that they're going to be perfect, they're going to have it all right for the rest of their lives, but they're saying, I'm committing to that. And then becoming a member of a church and being part of Westview is also committing to excelling in the work of the Lord. Because when we gather together here, it's kind of like a huddle. We pray, we praise, we worship, we learn, we encourage each other so that we can then go and know a little bit more about how we're going to act when we go into the rest of our week. And what we can appreciate from all of what Paul is saying is that the work we do in the Lord will last. It will last. It does not go to waste. So let's be heavenly minded and earthly active.